Learn the most advanced recruiting techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with Rick Gerard. Extreme high performance teams don't just happen by chance. They're artfully built with an impenetrable culture at its heart. People who join are in alignment with the values and the purpose of the organization, which results in unrivaled performance above and beyond expectations. I'm Rick Gerard, and welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. Our mission is to help entrepreneurs win the right hire. We share insights from top performing rebel entrepreneurs, disruptors, and industry leaders like our guest today, Mr. Greg Bessner. Greg is the founder and vice chairman of Culture IQ, a global company that helps organizations create high-performance cultures. He and his firm have assisted more than a thousand organizations and millions of employees strengthen their company culture. Greg was an early investor in Zappos, which inspired his commitment to organizational culture. In 2018, he was ranked in USA Today as the eighth best CEO in the United States among a pool of 50,000 companies. And he is also named EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Greg is obviously an expert in building high performance cultures, which is what makes Greg the perfect expert for today's topic. Greg, welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show today. Hey, Rick. Great to see you again. Thanks for having me today. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you. We're going to discuss why, and if you're serious about your business, you need to prioritize your company values at the heart of hiring decisions, and then how to deploy a process that enables your company to hire the right people who continually raise the bar for performance. Sound like a plan? Sounds terrific. Now, I often find the phrase not a good cultural fit as a cop out that companies use lately these days to pass on people. And when I've dug deep into, well, how are they not a good cultural fit? That's when the conversation starts to deteriorate quite quickly. What's interesting is they don't really know. They have an idea of what they think their culture is, but they don't really quite know. Really, what poses the question to me is, how can someone really make that conclusion when they lack clarity on what their culture, what their purpose really is? Fantastic topic to start on. And thanks again for having me today. The absolutely the culture fit question can cut both ways. It's clearly important to everyone that joins your organization has a tremendous impact. The smaller the company, the bigger impact, of course. Everyone in your organization makes an impact and some people make an outsized impact. So it is critically important to hire for culture fit. But when I say culture fit, I often say someone that your organization's core values resonates with them, someone that is passionate about your purpose and not someone that looks, sounds, and talks like the other people in your organization. And I think there's been so much written and said about diversity and inclusion lately. And the problem is, as you said, people often use culture fit as a cop-out because it's sort of our human nature. There's this unconscious bias where we are more comfortable when we interview someone or hire someone that has very similar background. They look the same. They sound the same. They dress the same. They have the same experiences. The problem is if everyone in your organization is the same, then you're not going to have innovation. You're not going to have unique perspective. You're not going to have unique experiences. You're not going to address things in the same way. So I think you're absolutely right. Often people don't recognize that unconscious bias when they say, well, it's not really a good culture fit. One quick story, early in my career, I worked for a very reputable organization, but the interview criteria was they asked two questions after you interviewed someone. Would you want this person to sit next to you? And 
would you want this person to work in our division? The problem is you may not want to go have coffee with the person sitting next to you. You may not want to run out to lunch or grab a drink, but that doesn't mean they're not the right hire or not the right culture. That is so very true. And of course, that story is from 25 years ago. The world has changed a lot. And I think enlightened leaders recognize that a broader perspective. So it's really important that, as you said, drilling down, what do you mean they're not a culture fit? Give me an example. And truly making sure that there's a deeper analysis of whether this person is a good fit to the organization more so than just, this is someone I'd like to hang out with at work. So very true. Let's talk about some of the challenges today that companies are facing because we've been thrust into 2020 with now everybody's working offsite. Now we're trying to, as it is, there was a lot of companies that were doing interviews that weren't really interviews. They were just popularity contests or let's go out and grab a lunch and hang out and we'll just chat. And if we like you, we'll hire you. And now we've got this thing where everybody's working from home and we're using Zoom or one of the major video platforms to interview people. What's the problem with that? It is always nice to be able to grab breakfast, grab lunch, grab coffee with the candidate. And I always encourage that, especially when you're down to the final decision. If this person's deciding to join your organization and you're deciding to ask this person to join your organization, it is very nice to have a little time outside of an interview room, outside of a conference room. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to do that over the past 10 months or so. And it does create some challenges, um, but maybe some opportunities as well. First of all, the challenges are, of course, over Zoom or whatever platform people are using, it is a little more challenging to really have the full human interaction, meaning the human body language, the energy. Because when we're face-to-face like this, it is hard to feel that body language on my arms crossed. Am I closed off because I'm not comfortable? Am I tapping my foot because I'm nervous? These kind of things, if you're in a live interview, you can calm someone and say, hey, you know, by the way, Do you like a cup of coffee? Would you like a glass of water? You know, do you want to take a break for a few minutes? None of that happens on Zoom. You're just right there locked in. So that's a challenge, but not a challenge that can't be overcome. Getting a feel for the energy of the office. This is something that'll change forever in many cases, but hopefully not everywhere in every company. But in many circumstances, I think more and more employees will have flexibility of not going to an office. But just imagine, Rick, you and I both remember going to the office and earlier in our career and showing up and just feeling that energy. I still go to my office. I can't not. (laughs) Yeah. There's nobody there, but you know, <laughs> well, it's kind of nice. Yeah. Nice to go to your office. I'm in my office, but I'm not surrounded by my team. And when you're a new employee or a candidate to be an employee, as we're talking about right now, walking in, are people smiling? Are people chatting by the water cooler, literally at the water cooler? Are they chatting in a common area? Are people walking over to each other's desks? Does the leadership team have offices? Do they have doors? Are the doors open? Are the doors closed? These are some of the cues that we've been able to read as candidates in the past, and we can't read them now. Let's go back to the culture. This is really near and dear to your heart. Why is it important that you focus on your culture for your company? The way I've always described it, written about it, talked about it is, as you described, a high-performance culture. A high-performance organization and a high-performance culture, in my experience, are synonymous. And when I say high-performance company, a high-performance company is one that outperforms its peers in its industry. 
It's one that recruits and retains the best talent. It's an organization that sets its strategy for the year or for five years and accomplishes its goals and its strategy. So those high-performing companies really need a high-performance culture because if your culture and your strategy are not aligned, then you're just not going to outperform your peers, recruit and retain the best people, and have financial results that exceed your peers. We're not talking here about having a kumbaya culture. Everybody would like to have a really nice collaborative culture, but there's a lot of really high-performance companies that are warrior-based organizations. Oh, yeah. Culture, for example, can be a very familial, very collegiate, very laid-back, and that couldn't be successful for some organizations and some industries. And some organizations can be incredibly sales-intensive or technically intensive or incredibly accountable. So these dimensions of culture, they're dynamic because you mentioned collaborative. Collaboration is a key dimension of culture. The accountability, though, is also a key dimension of culture and communication is key. So there are dimensions of culture and they all interact with one another So the thing that with my background at Zappos that you mentioned, often organizations say, wow, I'd like to have a culture like that where people are inspired by our mission, where our customers respond to our brand and the shareholders are excited to be stakeholders. But the reality is no organization's culture should match another's. It's like a fingerprint because all those dimensions of culture are dynamic and every person in your organization is unique. For example, the best places to work list Goldman Sachs and And Zappos were both on the list every year for seven or eight years. I read today there are 7.6 million organizations in the United States that have employees. Those two organizations were often 10 spots apart. One was a 150-year-old white shoe investment banking firm with highly compensated employees from higher education. And Zappos was mostly warehouse workers and call center workers making on average at the time when I was involved, maybe $15 an hour. And it was a 10-year year old startup. Yet these organizations out of 7.6 million companies were almost side by side when listed as the best places to work. So just a really good example of how two incredibly different cultures can have incredible success. You're listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. I'm your host, Rick Gerard. And for our podcast listeners, we're going to take a quick educational moment from our sponsors. Hey, check out stridesearch.com. There you'll find additional content and resources to help you land great hires. We're talking to Greg Bessner. Greg is the founder and vice chairman of Culture IQ. And we're talking about why you should pay attention to your culture and really build it into all your hiring process. If I'm an entrepreneur, though, what's the downside if I really don't pay attention to this? Well, the downside is if you don't curate your culture, if you're not intentional about your culture, your culture is going to get away from you. Your culture happens. Every organization has a culture. And if you're not stating the purpose, if you're not stating the mission, if you're not stating the values, you're not living the values, then your culture will formulate on its own and you may not like what happens. And again, if you, as we talked about earlier, if your culture and your strategy are not aligned, then you will have challenges. That is all too true. Either manage your culture or your culture is going to manage you. That's right. (laughs) I can tell you, Evan, Out of the thousand plus companies we work, I can't tell you how many of those organizations came to us saying how they need to get their arms around their culture. They need to transform their culture. And very often an organization will be making acquisitions, will be acquired, will be hiring 
will be right-sizing, having new leadership, having big new customers, new product launches. All those things change your culture. So it's not that you just build this culture and let it run. You actually have to make sure your culture at any given time is aligned with your current disposition. If you're advising me to put a system in place in order for me to make sure that I have my systems in place, where do we start? Well, we start at the beginning of the life cycle of each employee, and that's recruiting right, and hiring. Everyone impacts culture greatly, but it's throughout their life cycle. It's even people that are not hired, people that come through your recruiting process today, of course, they will give feedback, whether it's on Glassdoor, whether it's to the recruiting firm that they've worked with, whether it's to their friends, their peers, or the next company they go to. Making sure that your recruiting process, your hiring process, your onboarding process are intentional and transparent. Because again, without information, people think the worst. The easiest way to do that is really to tie all your interviewing questions, everything that you do to your core values. That's right. So thanks for mentioning that. So during the interview process itself, what a great opportunity. Because I mentioned, be intentional, have your purpose, have your values. But as a leader or a hiring manager or a manager, you need to constantly be not only expressing your values, but showing examples and celebrating examples where your organization has lived those values. So in an interview process, perfect opportunity. And tell the candidate ahead of time, make sure you look at our website, make sure you look at our values, because it's really important at our organization. And when we're interviewing, I'll be asking you some examples in your life where something in your career or in your life could be an example of how you've lived your core values. That is so important, by the way. Preparation. If you're going to have somebody come in for an interview, why not prep them for success? To let them know that these are the type of questions we're going to ask you. And if someone is serious about your organization, they'll do more preparation. If someone isn't that prepared, we've all been in interview situations where candidates sit down and says, so tell me about your company. Tell me about your company. Have you heard of the World Wide Web? You could have read about our company. You could have read, read our blog. You could have read our case studies, could have read biographies. So there's nothing more frustrating than having a candidate come in and, and See, not- See, I think that's something that should be taken care of in that first conversation, that initial discovery call or phone screen or whatever you want to label it. That's when you have that conversation. That's right. Because- you want to protect the candidate's time because, again, you want them to be an advocate for your company. If they're not hired, you want them leaving the process, telling everybody what a great organization they consider joining. Yeah, you want people feeling good. That's right. And the phone screen or the interview screen, it's a really important first impression for both the company and for the candidate. And it's also an incredible opportunity for you to save time. There's so many candidates. You don't want to race through the process. But you also want to make sure that you're starting the process off with a framework that has the best chance for success. And as you described it, that initial phone screen, I don't really even like the word screen because it makes it sound like one side screen and the other. You can call it a screen, but it's really a screen filtering in both directions. I call it a discovery call. Perfect. That person doesn't really care that much about my company at that first conversation until they know. But what they do care about is what's going on with themselves. So why not take that, take advantage of the opportunity to be able to learn about them and what's important to them and where they want to be and what their pains are and what they deserve desire and the kind of impact that they want to have out of their career that they're not getting in their current role. You understand, then you can bridge that gap for them. And then, of course, for the company to give its own elevator pitch and describe why this would be a great organization. And then when you hear the candidates describe their experience, their passion, and hopefully prepared and some examples of their background, how it really overlaps with your organization's path. And then the interviewer can make a determination whether there is enough of a fit for that next stage of the process. 
process. Sometimes there's a fit and often there isn't. But again, just having an opportunity for the discovery call for both sides on that call or Zoom or whatever the technology you're using to come away feeling like we both put our best foot forward. And if it's not the right fit, then we know that at the end of that call or we know it soon after. And that transparency and that positivity are all part of this framework and part of this process. You can give closure to that person right there. And that avoids a ton of bad glass door reviews. Absolutely. And there's no excuse to have bad glass door review when it should be a very positive process. And part of it is training, making sure the people that are representing your company for this candidate that's getting their first impression, people may have never had the opportunity to recruit candidates. And it's a wonderful way to progress in your career to be part of a recruiting team. But make sure as a company that your people that are speaking with these candidates, it shouldn't be the junior person. It can be a junior person who's right out of school, but make sure that junior person right out of school has some tools, has some training, has some experience, knows the question sets that are important for your company, the highlights about your company, the way to communicate with the candidate, and if they should be giving immediate feedback at the end of that discovery call. Make sure everyone in your organization, from the CEO right down to the most junior employee, if they're going to be speaking to a candidate, make sure that they have the framework so your company is consistent and there's a good process. I was going to say that's a great lead into your second point, which is having a framework. Having a framework, having a process that's got structure to it. It's not, hey, Bob, can you talk to so-and-so? They're coming in for an interview right now. Have at it. And as you and I know, that happens over and over and over again. And there's nothing more frustrating to a candidate than to meet with Bob. And Bob asks the exact same questions. Oh, where are you from? What do you do? Tell me about your training and where your Where do you skills. want to be in five years. <laughs> Why do you want to work for us? In my experience, it doesn't need to be that difficult. It's basically if your interview framework is a discovery call, a hiring manager, a peer, and a bar raiser, which we can talk about in a minute, then each of those people should have a job. They should have an assignment. The discovery, maybe it's values and passion and purpose and experience. The second person, what is the person's goal for the next year and five years? Or if it's a technical role, maybe it's the, a peer, someone who, if it's an engineering role, an engineer that knows exactly the framework and can ask very technical questions and the candidate can ask very specific questions. And then the hiring manager, where do you want to be in the next year? Where do you want to be in the next five years? And then the bar raiser, really kind of pushing and determining whether this person is going to raise the bar for our organization. This candidate is going to make our organization better. Each of the people interviewing that candidate should have their role. And if I'm a candidate, every time I speak with someone, I'm learning something different and I'm not here the same elevator pitch about the company and I'm not answering the same questions about my background because those things have already been asked, they've been documented, and they've been shared. There's another key point, documentation. Anybody who's on the interview team too needs to take diligent notes. You just do. And there's so many tools for doing that now. I'm sure your organization, you have tracking systems. For bigger organizations, they have maybe homegrown platforms and there's so many tools now to accomplish that, whether you're a tiny startup or a Fortune 100 company. So you know what we like to do is build a knockout question. You mentioned saving time for the interviewers. So if we're going to go back to back on the interviews, let's say you're doing culture and you have a knockout question and the person is completely off base for what the organization is from a values perspective, you can end the interview there. You don't have to spend any more time and you can let that person know, hey, look, we're not in alignment. This is one of our values. It's really important to us. And that's obviously not you. Let's save some time here and cut it off. I know it sounds like, oh my God, would you really do that? But it's one of those things that people appreciate the closure afterwards. They may be a little shocked. 
shocked by it. But sometimes people will agree. They'll be like, yeah, you're right. This isn't a place for me. It's similar to having to dismiss someone for organization. Sometimes it's a gift. Whether they're interviewing for your company or they're already working at your company, if someone's not the right fit, both sides are doing a disservice if you're just allowing that person to come through. So yeah, sometimes it can be value. Sometimes it can be goals. Sometimes it's the role that's open versus the role the candidate is seeking. It can be compensation. It can be the way that a candidate talks about something. For example, if they're speaking very negatively about their prior company or about their prior manager, this is often a red flag. People will, once they get comfortable, they may want to vent. To some extent, you can let someone know that you're not satisfied for XYZ reason, but denigrating your prior company, that's to me, that's one of those flags that can very quickly end the candidates. Oh, absolutely. The purpose of the interview is get to the truth on both ends and the truth shall set you free. That's right. <laughs> We're getting pretty close on time. Greg, what would be two or three key takeaways you can give the audience that can plug another business today? Oh, gosh. Well, one, again, I don't know if people have heard this term bar raiser before, but there's a saying that B players hire C players. If you're not trying to hire and retain the strongest talent for a role, then that trickles down. Person you bring on board, if you've settled for someone, and many of us fall into this trap. We're growing quickly. We need to fill seats. We're trying to do our role. We've been asked to be a hiring manager. We've been asked to get projects done. And we end up bringing people in that aren't really the best fit. Problem is those people now are going to be interviewing people and they're going to bring people in that are not the best fit. And then your A players leave. And your A players get frustrated. What I like to do is bring someone in as one of the interviewers that does not have a bias. They don't have that same project due. Maybe they're not in your division. They're not the hiring manager but they've been trained in your organization to make sure that people that are joining are raising the bar for your organization. Their role is to raise the bar in the interview process. That's one takeaway. Make sure that you don't put your hiring manager in the position that the pressure of hiring and not having someone bringing some unbiased perspective to the process. A second takeaway is have a structure, your description of, hey, Bob, can you interview this candidate? That's not good enough. You can't let people go into an interview without a framework, the questions they're going to ask, how they're supposed to document it, and what their next step should be. The third thing, which we didn't talk about, in this virtual environment, celebrate the new hire. In the old days, people would show up, they'd be handshake, high five, swag on their desk. You need to replicate that in the digital world. Ask the person, do you mind if I post that you're joining? Can people reach out to you? And then have people celebrate this new candidate. Have them welcome them with an email, a Zoom, a Slack, teams, whatever you're using, send them swag to their home, surprise them, send them those things. At the next group meeting, which you should be having frequently, introduce that person, get them a peer mentor so that they're not showing up at work. Let that peer let them know how things work because they don't get a feel for the culture remotely. Have a peer let them know. By the way, when they say the meeting starts at this time, people show up and are there on time versus your old company, people trickled in for 10 minutes. Here's how our culture works. So I would say a bar raiser, a structured interview process, a transparent interview process. And then once you recruit someone, that first 90 days is so important. And in this virtual world, it's challenging. So make sure you're intentional about it. Send the swag, get the people celebrating this hire, get a peer mentor and have those one-on-one -on -one meetings frequently and consistently. And with that, boom, that's a mic drop, Greg. We're just about <laughs> out of time for today's show. Thanks so much for your time investment today. And I want to welcome you to the Higher Power Radio community. Now, what would be the best way in which members of the audience can reach you, find your book and, uh, and everything else? So you can reach me anytime at greg at cultureiq.com. And I'm really excited about my book because I put a lot of my experience in a thousand companies into a book and I'll just hold it up 
the culture quotient, 10 dimensions of a high performance culture. Check it out. I'd love to get people's feedback if they have a chance to read it. Yeah, I highly encourage you to check it out. I haven't dug into it yet, but I've got a copy on the way and I'm looking forward to it. So thanks so much, Greg. Thank you to your listeners. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Thanks for listening. Absolutely. I want to thank our listening audience for tuning in this week's episode of Higher Power. Quick thanks to our team, Brian Colburn, Andrea Ballin, and Ayla Gerard. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, review, and share. After all, this show is for you and we're listening. You can join the Higher Power Radio community at Higher, H-I-R-E, Power, P-O-W-E-R, Radio, R-A-D-I-O.com. Or you can drop me an email at rickettstridesearch.com. Hey, next week, we've got Brenna Lowry. She's the head of marketing for Doist. So it's going to be a good show. I'm your host, Rick Gerard. And you have been listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power Radio. Catch our LinkedIn Live Show every Tuesday at noon or download the podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you joining us on Higher Power Radio with your guide to recruitment success. Rick Turner.